I remember someone telling me that I was too ambitious or I was very ambitious. I didn't know how to take that. Was it a compliment or or not? And so it became fuel for me to actually go after what I want. And if I ask you, are you ambitious? What would you I say? Th- yeah, yeah oh. I am. <laughs> I think looking back in like maybe the last year or so, I really did shoot for the moon. Welcome to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. I'm your host, Kate Friesen. This podcast brings you first-hand stories from enterprising women from all over Manitoba. It's for you if someone has ever called you ambitious and you weren't sure what they meant by that, but you kept on shooting for the moon anyway. It's for you if you are looking for inspiration to launch something new into this world And if you already own a business, you are in the right place too. It means you are aiming to define success on your own terms, like today's guest. My name is Lourdes Still, and I am the CEO or Creative Entrepreneur Officer of Masaganda Flower Farm and Studio. (laughs) Most of the things that I had ambition to do for the business, I did reach them. And I think for the ones that didn't, because I did say no to a few opportunities as well. I think I still like landed on stars. And how do you decide to say yes or no? For the opportunities that came to me this year, I said yes to the ones that gave me joy. Yeah, I think that was it. That was really it. Saying yes to joy is an important ingredient for Lourdes' business and how she defines success. Let's take the name of her enterprise for starters. Masagana means plentiful, rich, prosperous, bountiful. For Lourdes, it's a word from her mother tongue and it represents her Filipino heritage. It also acknowledges a mindset of abundance in the garden and in her own gifts. And Lourdes is clear that that's a choice, to live from this abundance instead of living from what she doesn't have. That mindset has taken her to new places and to new ventures in so many ways. From growing up in the big metropolis of Manila in the Philippines, to living near the small village of Labrokery in southeastern Manitoba. From growing flowers in a few pots on the balcony of her inner city apartment, to launching a flower farm, from living in a tropical climate to making a living off the land with a very short growing season, and from a regular paycheck to the challenge of making a seasonal business pay off year-round. It was like a winding road. I didn't take a straight, narrow path to where I am now. And I'm going to go back to a question that I ask every single woman that I've interviewed so far. When you were growing up, What did you dream about being or what did you dream that your work might be? I was very imaginative. I think I did dream of like, oh, what would it be like to live in a different climate? I think just from the books that I was like reading too, you know, they have this four season. How would I feel to to experience like snowfall, like sitting by the fireplace, those kind of things. 
But I never imagined to be um, doing the work of like growing flowers. Not at all. At all. I remember my grandparents would always like take me to our relatives. They have um, a farm, and I would look forward to going outside to the city, taking the bus, even though I would always be sick, like with the travel. <laughs> But I loved it. And then I remember the feeling of like after the weekend on a Sunday. It was a sad moment for me to leave the farm and go back to the city. But it was never kind of like an aspiration. What do you draw on from your early life experiences that you think makes you uh, successful in what you're doing or passionate about what you're doing now? Like you mentioned that time with your grandparents, but is there anything mm. else that you draw on in terms of your experience? A lot of family members back home are very entrepreneurial. Um, my mom, so mama, when she learned how to bake, she eventually took um, custom cake orders baptism birthday cakes so imagine a tropical country and we will be working on a buttercream frosting <laughs> yeah mama turned that new passion of hers uh, it becomes her side gig a lot of uncles and aunties uh, would have a, we call it saris saris store so basically it is a retail store and in the philippines where i grew up in in the city Every kind of like street corner will have um, their own like retail store. So I saw that growing up around our neighborhood and also with family members. But I didn't really see someone who make a, a business out of their passion in life. I think it's more of a necessity back home. Lourdes didn't start in business though. She studied nutrition in university in the Philippines and planned on working as a dietitian and nutritional counselor. Meanwhile, a cousin of hers had immigrated to Winnipeg. Given Lourdes's curiosity about living in different climates, that's where she headed to. So that was the plan for me to practice as a nutritionist dietitian in Canada. But then I realized the cost to have my credentials accredited And at that time, you know, one of the reason of actually like moving to Canada is to help family out financially. I choose between like pursuing this career that will cost me uh, money or just like work hard and see where it goes. That's what I did. And I'm not too heartbroken on not being able to practice um, being a nutritionist. I, it felt like I have all these like opportunities given to me that otherwise wasn't available for me in the Philippines. Three years after arriving in Winnipeg, Lourdes landed a job that set her in a whole new direction, on that winding road she talked about. 2012 is when I got the job as a wholesale buyer, so a purchaser of flowers in South America. So the company that I was working with have warehouses all over Western Canada and we import flowers basically all over the world. But my account and another senior buyer, we buy directly from South America. So through that company, I was able like to dabble into flower arranging. And then a friend of mine had asked me if I wanted to do her wedding flowers. So I did. And then it kind of like snowballed from there. My side gig then was custom cakes. And I ditched that completely because I fell in love working with flowers. So that's my intro, I guess, to, uh, to the world of flowers. Wow. <laughs> 
you talk about getting into the slow flower movement. And I know about the slow food movement. Mm-hmm. But tell me what it means to be in the slow flower movement. Yeah. When I was working as a flower buyer and being a new immigrant, you know, I was living right downtown core. I realized that one of the things that I love doing in the summer is visiting farmer's market. With my roommate then, uh, we love hosting dinner. And I felt like my dinners were extra special when I have bought them from the farmer's market. And then at some point, it clicked to me, if there is a slow food movement, could there be slow flower movement? Turns out there is. Slow flower movement or society, um, their aim is to fix that disconnect between the flower grower and the consumer. So it started by this woman, Deborah Prinsing. And oh my gosh, like their website is packed with information because they put out a lot of research and data um, to support how important is um, locally grown flowers, you know, um, what it does to the economy, also less carbon footprint because most of the flowers that we do enjoy in winter and even, you know, year round are coming from all over the place, especially in South America, which contributes to a high um, carbon footprint. So Lourdes had discovered a love of flowers, and she had become a passionate supporter of the slow flower movement. But it was another kind of love that first took her east of Winnipeg on Highway 1. When we went outside and you gave me the tour, you started in your, I'm going to use air quotes, your dating My garden? My dating garden, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I feel like that might be a connection to how you landed up here. Yeah, so I met Kevin online late 2015. So 2016, our first spring, a summer, and I remember he had a hammock in the backyard. And yeah, we were just like talking about what our lives before we met. Yeah, because we were pretty new in dating. And then also kind of like how we wanted to live our lives, you know, in the future through all these conversations in the hammock. I think we've kind of figured out that we wanted the same thing, living in the country and then growing our own food, just really seeing how we can live off the land. Hmm. I remember picking my own carrots in the fall, like around this time. So how many years is that now? Like about six years ago. It was so fun because before that, I was only gardening in balcony at my downtown Winnipeg apartment. Wow. So 2017, growing in this two 20 by 30 garden pot and then trying flowers, I was um, really surprised how much flowers that I was able to cut for such a small garden space. So I was still working as a flower buyer. And then we do have some customers who are um, flower growers in Manitoba. So that really piqued my interest because how are they able to be a flower farm in Manitoba with such short growing season? So through this rabbit hole of Instagram, you know, just like clicking on every hashtag and um, gardens that I'm seeing people will tag on Instagram and discover that it is a thing. She didn't just dive down the rabbit hole of Instagram. Lourdes also dove into research, took courses, visited, and worked on other flower farms. Like her family members back home, entrepreneurship was also motivated by necessity. If she wanted to make her home in this rural area, she needed to create a way to make a living there. So just a year after growing that first flower garden, in 2018, 
she quit her job in Winnipeg and went all in with Masagana Flower Farm. So first of all, you're in zone three for growth. What zone would you have been in when, when you grew up? Oh, good question. Um, zone zone 20 up. or yeah. something? <laughs> I think they're only up to like 15. But yeah, but we are because we're really close to the tropical. Yeah. So yeah, um, so you're zone three. Yes. And your intention is to be in the slow flower movement. So what are the challenges uh, to become sustainable as a business? Those are big challenges. Well, I think that's the big challenge, the short growing season that we are in. And also no, no two years are ever the same. 2018, oh my gosh, like the flower is just like very lush and, and full. And this year, you know, that drought that we got really did a toll on the flowers, um, especially at the beginning of June this year. Yeah. Yeah, when we had that intense heat and then most of the flower seedings were just put in the garden, um, that was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a small business, only working with locally grown flowers, it is hard to make it a full-time endeavor. Yeah, you were limited. So it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. You are determined and have been determined to expand it beyond that short growing season. How have you done that? Oh, so 2018, when I moved here and then quit my flower buying job, um, started um, the small business, worked at another flower farm. So I was busy that summer. But then following that, I really wanted to get to know my area back in the Philippines. And then when I moved here, I know my way like downtown, like in the city. But when I moved here... I was like more curious than anything. So I discovered north of me, this Fiverr farm, a long way homestead. I learned that they cultivate like Thai gardens to color their yarns. They had a workshop and I attended. And then I was blown away that all these colors can come from plants and flowers and that we can grow indigo in our zone. A light bulb moment for me because... I had a problem after the season of 2018. Then I think we were growing a 320 by 30 garden plot by then. And I did sold some, but then there was still like leftover, you know, because didn't pass the quality check. So our house was full of flowers. The compost was full of flowers. It didn't really sit well with me that my flowers only had one use. Hmm. Going back to like discovering that natural dyeing is a thing. I bought some books and then only last year when I really was able to try my hands on it. And I'm hook. Line, hink, and sink. Hook, line, Line and and sinker. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So that's what I mean. And there's no going back. And that kept me busy last fall and winter. This year too with my summer. And now I'm slowing down with like the outdoor work, but saving all the flowers that we still have in the garden, all the, the dye flowers, picking them, drying them, because that will be what kept me busy this fall and winter. Hmm. That's two uses, but you told me there was a trifecta. Oh, yes. So whenever I plant my garden, or like every year, I have these three categories and any plant or flowers that I should be planting um, should meet two out of these three um, categories. So they should be great as fresh cut, also holds their color and shape when dried and or can be used as a natural dye. Mm. Yeah. So you've expanded your business in other ways. Yes. And almost every small business that I've interviewed or the, the business women that I've interviewed 
have found that they need to diversify and have found yes. creative ways to diversify. Yeah. So you started something this year that you said mm, you were surprised at, um, yeah. <laughs> at how many people you had come. Yes. Uh, garden tours have always been a thing of flower growers. And for me, because I love showing people um, what can we grow in our zone and then how we turn our lawn. But since I was dabbling into natural dyeing, I thought I could diversify my offering in make my business stand out by including this um, natural dyeing aspect of my business. So I created a Tinta experience or Tinta, a dye-your-own-wearable art experience. So it is a three-hour engagement at the farm. You get to learn the flowers that we grow for dyeing. You pick the flowers um, that you want to use, and then we go back to my workshop and make a uh, a wearable art, like a, a silk scarf and tint them using the flowers that you pick from the garden. Hmm. I had 81 people book in six weeks. Wow. And yeah. I was blown away with, with the support of Manitobans, how they supported my endeavor. I was also privileged that I get to witness, um, get together, you know, for some of them, it was the first time gathering as a group of friends, you know, since pandemic hit us so mm. that was like really lovely and um, people chose to uh, spend time with me here at the farm and then actually have a tangible memory of their time together yeah so that was really special so you have so much joy you exude it mm-hmm. I've seen it in your garden and in the photos tell me about a moment when you hit up against something really hard and you mentioned the, that heat wave that came in June. Yeah. That long garden that we walk around today. So that was was planted yeah, by early June. And then we had that like three day of like heat wave. So, you know, you have that frost cloth that you use. So you prop them up. So you just wanted to give um, these little seedlings as much protection as you can. But come Friday... My sales were like good, like Wednesday, Thursday, but come Friday, uh, we had this like crazy wind and those sales were like all down. And I was just standing, looking out the window and I'm like shaking my head, like, what am I doing? If the plants didn't, you know, doesn't survive, then I don't have a lot of like extra plants. And I still have this like portion of the garden that needs to be planted That was really disheartening. That was so discouraging. The next day, I don't want to look at the garden. Um, But then I had to push myself because I had to see uh, what the damage is so that I can make informed decision. Okay, how am I going to move forward? Right? Like, or if I really need to replace those plants, okay, like how many plants do I need? And, but then it turns out it didn't do a lot of damage. I think we give plants so little credit but if there's one thing that maybe like I've learned from the plants is that they find a way to not only grow in the condition that they're in but also thrive Hmm. yeah there's some good business advice right there yes yeah (laughs) I wanted to talk a bit about whether you had any challenges as a newcomer because you Mm came uh in 2009 And one of the first things you figured out was that you weren't going to be working in your field. And then as a business owner, like some newcomers have come here with a lot of entrepreneurial aspirations. Many have successful businesses. Sometimes they have challenges with capital or finding 
help to navigate the rules and legislation or just finding a way Mm -hmm. in. And I'm wondering what your perspective is on that or what your experience has been. Yeah, well, from my own experience, I feel like I'm going against this like cultural grain because one of the reasons why I moved to Canada is to help family financially, right? So when I used to have a desk job, you know, that is not so much of a problem because you have this like, constant income like coming in that I can send uh, back at home. But now that I'm in this like thick of um, pursuing this dream, I still like carry that responsibility that I, you know, that I do wholeheartedly to send money back home. But now as I'm looking into like lenders to build my studio, you know, they ask you like what I can basically put on the table as well. And to be honest, I don't really have a lot of that because in the past, um, if there was any saving that I had left. Good thing that I had them because I had a family emergency and, you know, I had to send and support families that I was not able to replenish that. So now that I'm in this like stage of like I need to expand. Um, yeah, that is kind of like where the pickle is. Like someone who's like pursuing their dream, but also you've got those financial responsibilities. You're trying to find that balance. And do you think there's anything more that could be done to support newcomers in their businesses? Hmm. There are a lot of like resources, funding, grants that are being made available, which I'm realizing so privileged to have those opportunities compared to like if I was still like living back home. If I'm still in the Philippines, I may not, you know, have this opportunity to do what I'm doing. From my experience, to be honest, like the Women's Enterprise Center has been, I attended a lot of their like workshop last year and it was really helpful for me, like developing my business strategy. And I got involved in this coaching program too in my region here with the tourism sector. You found support in other ways. I found support because I feel like I also put myself out there. This is just me. I, I put a positive spin on any negative thing that will happen in my life that I feel like if I you know, didn't get like the bursary that I applied for or for mentorship and all that, I think I will just look at it in a way that um, at least I had a practice. And then I'm going to try again for another funding or like grant that will come my way. But there should be like a lesson from the previous one that will make my application more better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you? You mentioned the studio. What's your vision for this flower farm next? Everyone listening to this, can you please cross your fingers, eyes, legs? I don't know, whatever you can cross for me. Um, Yeah, so I'm in this, like, in the middle of, like, application to build a studio so that I can offer my Tinta experience year-round. Aside from the studio, expect more dye flowers from Masagana Flower Farm. I think I found my niche And I think going forward, I will be growing at least 50% and more for sure of um, dye flowers so that we can create more with it. And also, I think for natural dyers in Canada, you know, they will be able to um, get their supply even in the off season. In terms of being a sustainable business and looking at your profit margin, what are the other ways that you measure success? Oh, good question. Um, My measure of success would be how I'm really converting my followers into customers. How do you turn your followers into customers? All right. um, What's the secret? 
well, starting like last March with the pandemic, I attended all workshop that I can, like virtually. And what I'm learning is that to convert your followers to customer is being your authentic self. So that means I learned about this like brand storytelling, um, which I was already doing before learning about it. It was like a validation for me that people do empathize. If you are willing to show yourself your true self like out there, people not only buy your product, they were invested in you. So for me, for my Masagana Flower community, I believe that they were invested in my story too, in my own journey. Hmm. The goal is not to reach the 10,000 followers. I'm happy with however like slow I'm gaining my, my audience, but I know that this audience... Um, they love hearing from me. You know, they appreciate me showing up. That is something that um, I don't take for granted either for them allowing me to um, take up space in their, in their own lives. In the three years since Lourdes jumped into Masagana Flower Farm full-time, she's diversified, adding services as well as products. With the addition of an all-season studio, she'll be close to her goal of making a seasonal endeavor into a year-round business. All this with a 4,800-square-foot flower garden that's tended with environmentally sound principles. And here's the advice that Lourdes offers up for any of you out there who have launched your business and want to take it to the next level, on your own terms. At the beginning of this year, I hired a marketing coach. And she has been like really amazing. And this is actually one of the advice that I want to give to people out there. Invest in yourself. And having a coach is one of those things that you can invest in. I hired a marketing coach. She is a Filipina as well, but she's based in Toronto. And she actually empowers uh, BIPOC e-commerce purpose-driven owners. And it was it was really helpful helpful in terms of getting clarity with all these like ideas that i want to bring out to the world she had helped me rein some in and also the refocusing i didn't really think that we will be dealing a lot of like mindset coaching as well but we do we had like one session that i I told her, you know, maybe we'll just like, spend 15 minutes because I just really feel discouraged. But like, no, where is this questioning myself like coming from, you know? And it was really helpful because now every time that I would go to that space, I would look back and then try to remember our conversation. Yeah, like, why am I feeling like discouraged right now? Um, and where is that coming from? Is it just from a single comment that I got from other people? But then look at all these like other things that people say about the business and what they had like, you know, experienced when they are with me, that maybe I should be dwelling more on that rather than on the things that bring me down. Mm. That's great advice. Investing in yourself as the business owner is also investing in your business. In your business and in the community. I'm realizing that um, I need to fill my cup so that I will be able to give to other people. And when I say service to my community, when I put myself out there and then show and then post about my wins, I would get messages from other people who are of the same skin color, how it was like something that they needed. 
this is what someone like told me. She said that it was so good to see someone who looked the same as like me. Yeah, sometimes it's not easy, you know, because I feel like I'm lifting my chair. But well, also, what I'm, do you mean by that? It like kind of like you, I'm putting the spotlight on uh. me. But then why why is it so hard for me to take up space? I think that's where it's coming from. And then related to like what my marketing coach was trying to debunk in one of our sessions, why is it like people of color don't want to put themselves out there or take up space? Why it seems easy for other people and not to me, hmm. you know? So do you have any specific advice or a shout out to other BIPOC women business owners? Yeah, take up space. <laughs> you might be like an inspiration to somebody else who's trying to figure it out themselves. And also, even for me, I'm still like figuring things out. And we don't need to wait to feel that we're perfect. You know, we aim for like done, than perfect. Take that space, invest in yourself, rest. Rest is just as important as like doing the work. And for you to be able to do the work, and serve your community, you have to take time to um, make time for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's great advice for me too. Thank you yes, so you're much. Welcome. That's Lourdes Still, the owner of Masagana Flower Farm. Find out more at masaganaflowerfarm.com. And don't forget to follow Masagana Flower Farm on Instagram to get an extra dose of beauty and joy. You are listening to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. The centre offers a business plan course, enterprise financing, and many other resources available for female entrepreneurs living anywhere in this province. Head over to wecm.ca to find out more. And check out this episode's show description for a list of other resources that Lourdes mentioned. You can subscribe to Here's How It's Done through your favorite podcast app. If you are interested in more stories about enterprising women who launched a farm-based business, I recommend spinning a good yarn in more ways than one. Long Way Homestead's Road to Success. Theme music for this show is by Peter McIsaac. Additional music written and recorded by Charlotte Friesen. This episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, wishing you joy in your work and rest when you can get it. I'm Kate Friesen. Mm-hmm.